passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BOL, alongside site publisher, Mr. Tim Watts, following a very interesting early signing day. If you were with us there at BamaOnline.com throughout the day, you know Tim Watts. He was manning that 18-wheeler, that diesel, that big truck, known as the Alabama recruiting effort, got you home nice and safe on Wednesday evening. Uh, but, Tim, there were a for- few forks in the road along that route, and we talked about this before the podcast. You know, you typically see Alabama involved in some recruitments where it might come down to a signing day announcement by a prospect, but just some outright flips like we saw on Wednesday, and not just guys that maybe you think down the road, maybe developmental prospects. These are high-level, elite players we're talking about here that Nick Saban pilfered from the LSU Tigers on Wednesday. Yeah. You know, the thing that's, you know, you look at the guys they got, it's just, yeah, like you said, the high level players that they are guys, Alabama targeted early in the process lost. You know, that's one thing Alabama's really good at is building relationships, maintaining those relationships and being consistent. You know, we have some, you hear some schools just flood a kid, and if they don't get a commitment from him, it, it tapers down, and then they try to go back on him when it's closer to a commitment. Alabama does a good job of if you leave that door open, you know, if you answer their calls, they'll call you. And they do a good job of when the kid says no, walking away. So, But to get Keanu Coat, South Florida, edge rusher, outside linebacker was huge. They liked him early in the process. It's a pretty good story where – pretty odd story, I should say. Keanu was about to commit to LSU – uh, some staffs talked to him and told, talked him into waiting. His parents wanted him to visit LSU because they had never even been there. I don't think the kid had. He got, you know, he was caught up in a pretty good emotional run there. Um, and uh, so they did eventually visit Baton Rouge. He committed. And then, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, and I was talking to people yesterday, especially after the fact. And I think a lot of the off field uncertainty uh, sort of you know, obviously hurt LSU with him and, you know, a couple of other recruits too. So they were hesitant to, to sign. And, you know, the big thing there is a lot of times what you get when a kid is committed that long, decides not to go to uh, um, uh, the college he's going to, he'll also, he'll often decommit then go through the process and sign late, but you get Keanu to flip. He signs on Wednesday. 
Um, Cat sort of got out of the bag Wednesday morning when he uh, called the LSU staff. And then you had JoJo Earl, a wide receiver from Jason McClellan's high school in Texas. JoJo Earl was a guy they targeted earlier. He's a guy I'm really excited about, and that one happened fast. I mean, like a Randy Johnson heater back with the Mariners. (laughs) It was on you before you knew it. Um, Because JoJo Earl had maintained he was going to sign late, and then we heard he's possibly considering – Signing early, and then you know, with two hours to go, it it hit the fan. Alabama got that, you know, got him to flip, got him to sign, and he's a big commitment to me because when you look at Alabama's players they've got in the past, and you look at the recruits they've got, you got Jacory Brooks, you got uh, Aggie A. Hall, you got those two big guys, sort of those outside guys, but you also got Christian Leary, a speed guy that can play in the slot, uh, bust you on those wheel type routes, and then you got. Uh, Jojo Earl, who's got a great name to begin with, it's going to be fun to say, but you got Jojo coming in. Not going to say he's Waddle, but I think he's he's Waddle-esque. I think he's got some mm-hmm. of the qualities, that wiggle, that quickness, maybe not as fast, and um, got that got that same sort of size, that wiggle. So you got that punt returner uh, uh, athleticism about him, so that's going to come in handy. You know, and the guy we haven't really talked a lot about was – Jaden Roberts. And then yesterday, everything happened so fast that it started tumbling that Jaden Roberts, who's also from Texas, was a teammate of Alabama signee in 2020, Damian George. Um, Jaden Roberts was committed, had committed to Auburn early in the process. His quarterback committed there, really good high school quarterback, had committed to Auburn. Jaden followed him there, but the Alabama staff did a really good job of maintaining. And uh, when you look at that offensive line class, I mean, you've got three guys that could legitimately uh, flop in, in in the tackle discussion, including Terrence Ferguson. Of course, we know Brock Meyer at J.C. Latham. But Ferguson's a legitimate tackle uh, option if Alabama chooses to go that way. They also had the number one center in the country in James Brock uh, Meyer. So it made sense to add an interior guy and with Jaden Roberts. I see a little bit of, of Deontay Brown in there. He's a big guy. He's a really big guy. He's going to move a lot of people. Yeah, Terrence Ferguson has some of that in him, too. Terrence Ferguson can move some people around, and he's sort of in that tier just below Tommy Brockermeyer and J.C. Latham, but that's another guy when you look at this offensive line class, whether it's a tackle, whether he plays some guard, uh, they really knocked it out of the park across the board up front on offense. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, last year, I think if you look at the the defensive class, you had Will Anderson, Balakai, Brian, Timmy Smith. You're seeing those guys. Those guys had more opportunity than on the offensive side of the ball because, you know, there's obviously a deficiency there on the defense. This year with this group, 2021, the defense is great again. Don't get me wrong. Last year's offense was really good as well. But this year I see this class coming in with all the losses, and you see guys that will be able to have a chance to get into two deep right away compete for play in time, especially if these guys that are mid-year get a spring practice in, get spring football in, which I'm hoping they do. Or just being around the program, you know, from from uh, January to, you know, to the start of the season is going to be big advantage. But you've got guys that can come in that can, that can try to replace a Devonta Smith, who can try to blend in with Mechie. Offensive lineman, the only thing they really don't have is a running back, but running back really wasn't a need or a priority for them in the staff. So I I think they've got pretty much hit on all their needs offensively uh, and defensively. I can't. You look at that class; you can't really find a place where 
I don't think Alabama did a good job. We discussed it last year. They took three running backs. Everybody said, why did they take three running backs? Well, they identified this class is not a very good class running back wise. And I would agree with them, especially compared to last year and the net and, you know, coming up in the 2022 year. So they did a good job figuring it out, putting it together. And to me, you know, I'm getting into dangerous territory of contradicting myself or almost arguing with myself. Rather, you look at that 2008 class with Julio Jones, it's a great class. It's top heavy. Marcel Darius, Mark Barron, Mark Ingram, 10 other guys I forgot. But at the bottom, there was there were guys that didn't, you know, didn't pan out, didn't go to didn't go to college for uh, football. You know, some of them went baseball, some of them went Juco. So there was a little bit more dead weight. These last two classes, I just don't see a lot of dead weight when you start looking yeah. at Go ahead. Because when you look at the 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 twenty fourth guy ranked anyway in this class, Robbie Oots, I watched his tape on Wednesday. This is a tight end high high pointing the ball. You know, this is a basketball player. This is a talented dude, and he's the twenty fourth guy in this class, Tim. Yeah, Robbie Oots, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. And the thing about mm-hmm. it is when you look at Alabama, all the all the pretty tight ends are great. You love everybody's going to be Jimmy Graham, and they're not going to block, and they're going to line up here. Well, if you line up in a wide receiver position, you are literally a wide receiver. So if you don't go in line and block, which Alabama really demands from their their tight ends, you don't have as much use in the Alabama offense. This guy, Robbie Oots, loves to block. He seats the block. Yeah. Guy running down the field 60 yards just to hit you for no reason, you know? So, and also that's just talking about his work ethic. But when you look at him athletically, you're right. He's six foot three, six foot four. He's ripped, you know, you know, send us a windmill dunk. This guy's an athlete. I mean, so when you're talking mm-hmm. about that, and don't forget Anquan Barnes, who's the second on paper, lowest ranked guy. Yeah. Who went up to the Alabama Mississippi game and everything we heard was good and everything we saw was good. And you're talking about, you know, there's big and then there's big, you know, there's like, this guy's hands just look like they're swollen. You know, his head <laughs> looks like he's about to rip. Knuckleball, knuckleball catcher mitts. He's, yeah. Yes, he's such a massive human being. He looks like he's in the middle phases of Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. Like his stuff's about to pop off. So just a huge man, showed some moves. Uh, big guy, I think I think has a huge upside. Probably needs to be coached up, not going to be unheard of. Have to learn how to, you know, use his paws and get people's paws off of him in college but um those two guys and Kyrie Jackson's a third rated guy I'd fist fight somebody for telling me that Kyrie Jackson's the best junior college prospect I've seen uh at the defensive back position maybe at any position I mean you watch his film he's a legitimate six foot three uh cornerback and as we've discussed we hear about the mythical six foot three cornerbacks all the time they're always safety it seems like um, but he's here stiff, but he, he doesn't look stiff on tape uh, now. Uh, you know, we'll see, but yeah, he's a, yeah. I mean, obviously there's, you know, all this is on paper, but you look at those guys, you look at the bottom ranked guys, Tim Keenan, Devonta Smith. I mean, those are some heck of a football players. Tim Keenan's injured. People underestimate how important it is for Alabama holding an attack. I think that, you know, Deron Payne's not going to get a lot of accolades and stuff, but I think he's did a pretty good job this year, just holding his own. You know, mm-hmm. I think if people went back, you know, like my Alabama friends are always screaming, you know, the ones that scream, they need a nose guard like Cody. I'm like, have you ever seen Cody's stats? They're pretty pedestrian if you go just by statistics. But his impact on a game was all American worthy because even three- even Duran's even Duran's to an extent at Alabama. If you go back and look at TFLs and things, it, it doesn't Absolutely. It, and it doesn't necessarily jump off the page at you. But 
Yeah, I mean, you had to double-team Deron Payne pretty much every snap or he was going to just totally blow the game up. Yeah, you know? you're occupying the offensive line. And every if, if two guys are occupied, if you're collapsing that pocket, you're letting guys come off the edge or guys run free to get to that quarterback. So um, I think Tim McKeon is going to fall in that category because a dude, you know, he's almost like that old ice cube line, line built like a tank yet hard to hit. Tim Keenan's mm-hmm. a move. Like if you're playing reverse tug of war, like push a war, you Tim's going to win a lot of those battles. Yeah, he's he's going to be your anchor guy. Yeah, I would think he's too. Gonna, uh, he's, he's a strong fella. Now the three, the zero technique, the nose guard doesn't get a lot of love, but I bet if you talk to uh, Nick Saban, Pete Golden, Freddie Rhodes, they'll tell you those guys are really important. Yeah, there's absolutely still a need for an early down war daddy right there in the middle of a defensive front. And looks like Alabama uh, may have picked up multiples of those kind of guys uh, in this class. Let me ask you this, Tim. Uh, you look at the work that this staff did in the state of Texas with the Brocker Myers, uh, with Jalen Milrow at the quarterback position, with JoJo Earl, um, Kendrick Blackshire at linebacker. Then you look at maybe the the flips on signing day from LSU, the work that this staff continues to do in the state of Florida. If there's an opponent that Alabama sees, even on a semi-regular basis, that it hurt the most yesterday, and maybe even one it doesn't in the University of Texas, who would that have been for you yesterday? Who, who paid the biggest price, in your opinion, for what Alabama was able to get done on Wednesday? It's still on Wednesday. Obviously, I think LSU factors in. Um, a lot of people before, I'm sure they've changed their mind now, but a lot of LSU people thought Keanu Coat was their best defensive player and that uh, JoJo Earl was their offensive player. Now they're probably not as good by those same people, but those were considered two of their best recruits. I think LSU finished with their class okay, but that's definitely a dagger. When you're flipping guys, highly valued guys, it's always a big deal. But when you're flipping them from the guys you got to face – uh, every year, year in and year out. And, you know, there's probably a little extra there. I mean, you saw, you know, Nick stayed pretty quiet about the whole LSU thing. I didn't hear a whole lot from, from Nick Saban about that. But, you know, right before that game at CBS, he gave you the – I think he waited to say that right before when everybody's on the field because I'm not even sure LSU that came out if they just saw that clip where he's basically saying, we got to teach him a lesson. And, uh, and, and, and what that told you was he was about to say that to his team. I, that, that was like a rehearsal. That's all that like, was. All of us that have covered Alabama, I mean, even not with just BOL anywhere, anybody's covered Alabama and saw that clip when it happened, we were all like, whoa, what? That dude's never said anything <laughs> like this. We're going to have to adjust their way of thinking. He's about to spank somebody. That's exactly how your dad talks, where he pops you on the butt. Attitude so, adjustment. Yeah. So he that when he got a couple of their best players. So I think, the, but don't get me wrong, JoJo Earl, Keanu Coop, Coat are fantastic players. I mean, those guys are legitimate top 50 candidates. I think they're ranked somewhere between 50 and 75, but they're legitimate. I mean, you can make cases for both of those guys to be as high as you wanted to. But, yeah, when you look, you know, you got to say a lot of good things about Carl Scott, too. I mean, Carl Scott had JoJo World. He had uh, Jaden Roberts. You know, last year, Drew Sanders and Jace McClellan. That's four kids that that look like have really bright futures at Alabama that he flipped and don't forget the work. I mean, you know, history will rewrite itself, but Jaquincy McKinstry, everybody now is like, I was never worried. She, <laughs> I saw you guys. Yeah. 
I, so I got receipts. There's a lot of people worried. Carl Scott had to really go to work there. Um, the McKinstry's been such a big addition to a class that was already great. And let's be honest, if they don't get Kool-Aid, if they don't get McKinstry, it's going to be a little bit of a black eye, even on this class. Even if they'd have got the number two rated defensive back, cornerback, it would have been a black eye because it was Birmingham. It was a defensive back. You know, that's just, you know, a kid that's been to Tuscaloosa 15 times or so. So that was the, that was the guy you felt a lot of pressure to get. So Carl Scott really had to buckle down there, but Carl Scott's did a great job. I mean, this, the whole staff, you know, in South Sinceri, you know, we do the recruiter rankings. We've got guys ranked Heather. I think Carl Scott's higher. We got Carl Scott ranked number two, Charles Huffman one and uh, Jeff Banks three, I think. But South Sinceri was the guy that with Keanu Coat that stayed on it, built relationships, stayed on it, built relationships. I mean, you got to think you're investing a lot of time in a kid you might not get with the possibility you know, of wait for the opportunity to flip him. So, you know, hats off to Sal Sinceri, who did a, you know, really good job. And he's helped out with guys like Dallas Turner and some of these other guys. So everybody, you know, on this staff, Kyle Flood did a good job. I'm going to miss half of them. Charles Kelly's a sneaky, good recruiter. You don't hear a lot about him. But uh, all these guys um, and Hallman Wiggins, look at the look at the, the wide receivers he brought in and mm-hmm. – you know you're living right when you're sweating whether or not to sign, you know, you're going to get Xavier Worthy, who's the Michigan commitment from California, and, oh, well, he's going to Michigan, and then you pop up a guy ranked higher than him than JoJo Earl. So yeah. consider – You know, the- and, and also, Tim, this being just a virtual exclusive cycle, I mean, you're not able to go into homes late, you know, like you, you traditionally would to maybe try to close out or flip some of these guys. To flip guys like Earl and Coat when you're doing it via Zoom, and I know phone calls, things like that, uh, that to me adds to the degree of difficulty, I got to think. Yeah, I think with Alabama, this class really is going to go down as one That's of the That's where most- the script A, the script A comes into yeah, play oh yeah, there pretty yeah. good too, doesn't it? But this class is just, to me, is, is, is absurd in some ways. When you look back and go down to monthly, Alabama started out with Drake May, they had Latrell McCutcheons committed from um, a Texas defensive back. They started out with a good class early on. Those two guys decommitted. You know, we made jokes. But Deontay Lawson stood tall by himself for like six weeks, <laughs> just standing there waiting on everybody. You know, I just gave him a shout out on the round table, the BOL message board yesterday. Like, don't forget, you know, this guy just stood there like, who's coming with me? Mm-hmm. So finally they started coming. But, you know, once Alabama figured out, you know, the thing about it is Alabama's deliberate. They're they're almost like Nick Saban's like that John Wooden uh, saying where he said, uh, um, rush, but don't hurry, be quick, you know, but yeah. don't make mistakes. I think Saban's that way. I think he's moving at a pace. Once they set up the Zoom calls, uh, Dr. Ray and Baloo got involved and all this stuff. Once they set it up, we saw that the dominoes start to fall. It was like Aggie Hall, the wide receiver from Florida, and we saw these dominoes start to fall. And they hit like a six-week window that you remember where they were getting everybody for real, it seemed like. And this cycle saw like March was Ohio State's getting everybody. And then April was like Tennessee's getting everybody. I think maybe those were the months. And then you get down to May and June, and Alabama did a really good job uh, with those classes. So, you know, we talked – we wondered about the wide receiver position going into Wednesday, and then JoJo Earl sort of answers that question for us. You hit on that uh, a few moments ago where Worthy and, and some other guys 
uh, were concerned. But you mentioned to Quincy McKinstry. I mean, I watched tape of these guys all day on Wednesday. McKinstry could be a top 100 wide receiver. Um, of course, he's projecting on the defensive side of the ball as a corner. And also a guy like Kadarius Callaway. Uh, out of Philadelphia, Mississippi. I, I think he's kind of the Mississippi McKinstry when you watch him on tape, Tim. Yeah, you know, that guy, you know, not a lot is known about him. His recruitment's been rather quiet. It's been rather odd, really. He committed, flipped Alabama. Instantly, rumors started that Alabama didn't want him. I mean, this whole the whole time there was one rumor after another, not from Alabama, obviously, but people were just convinced, I'm not sure why, that uh, – you know, Alabama didn't want the kid, but Alabama did the whole time. Freddie Roach recruited him. I don't – when you look at him, I guess the good news is he. I think he could project in a number of positions. I think Alabama put him in the defensive back room. But, I mean, when I look at him, I mean, he's not too far from being almost a running back, almost an H-back. You know, you know, he, he lines up at wide receiver. He catches the ball. He does all that for a smaller school at Alabama. You look at him possibly growing into a safety outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have told me kind of like well, Christian Story last year, right? Yeah, Christian Story was that kind of guy. Yeah, and those guys are great because it ups. It's it's twofold. One, it ups their chances of being successful because they can move from room to room where they're needed. So that gives them a better chance on the depth chart. But you have to be careful, and Alabama's good about this about not letting them go room, room, room for three years, and all of a sudden they're a senior or a, you know, a fourth-year junior, and you really don't have a position. I mean, we saw Blake Sims, which had a fantastic career. He moved around to every position, ended up in qu- a quarterback, and not a bad one, if, I'm, if, I, if I do say so. He, uh, he could throw the ball a little bit. So, yeah, with Callaway, you got a guy that's versatile. He didn't talk a lot. He's been pretty quiet. Went to the Alabama Mississippi All-Star game. He did a good job um, of uh, representing himself. But, yeah, you know, those Mississippi kids, when they come – when they, you know, the, they come from the country, some of them, and you know, Callaway is one of those guys. He's tough as nails. He's a little bit grown. I think he's going to do fine. Number two overall prospect from the state of Mississippi for the twenty twenty one cycle. We're going to take a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, we'll wrap up some odds and ends where this twenty twenty one cycle is concerned, not only for the early period, but looking ahead to what looks to be very, very, very much a select few slots for February. We'll do that with Tim Watts when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. This one following the early signing day for the 2021 recruiting cycle. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by Site publisher, Tim Watts. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Just search us anywhere you do your podcast consumption. You will find us, the Bama Online Podcast. If you don't mind, a rating and a review would be greatly appreciated as well. Well, Tim, if you got anything else you want to throw at us from Wednesday, that's great. If not, 
let's get into uh, a look ahead to what's left for this class because after signing 24 guys on Wednesday uh, and hearing from Nick Saban on Wednesday night, uh, doesn't look or sound as if there are a lot of slots still available, but I guess, uh, I guess you never say never with Nick Saban <laughs> and his staff when it comes to the math. No, I've been asked this question. <laughs> how do the numbers work out? I don't know, but I do know they always do. I don't know how he does it. I just know they're going to work out. So it's one of those things where it's, you know, Jesus take the wheel. I'm just going to trust the system on this one. So, um, I would look Alabama. I mean, when you look exactly what they've got in this class, again, there's not a lot of needs. Unless there's a running back they feel they have to have that emerges, um, I expect they'll skip there. But other than that, every position's pretty deep. You got five offensive linemen, you got four wide receivers, you got a tight end you really like that can catch the ball and he can block. You got a quarterback, Jalen Milrow from Texas with a big upside. That's a kid we didn't even talk about. Um, his best football is definitely ahead of him. Reminds some people I've talked to, and that's an easy comparison because he's in Texas, he's a quarterback, he can run. But Jalen sort of reminds you, Jalen Milrow sort of reminds you of Jalen Hurts. Um, but yeah. I, at the same stage, he's a more polished actor, passer. So, you know, Jalen Hurts, the thing was, he could have ran for 400 yards every high school game. It was too easy for me. Heck, in the NFL, he's running for over a hundred. That you know, that's a big, strong guy. So Jalen can run. He's a little faster, and he you know he can throw the ball defensively. You know, I think you look in the secondary at Terion Arnold, the Florida, uh, you know, kind of freaky athlete. When you watch him, you talk about he's sort of like you know again. You want Callaway's the Mississippi Kool Aid. I think Terion's the Florida Kool Aid. Where you look at a guy that's a legitimate basketball prospect. You know, some of these guys like Kool Aid. Kool-Aid's good at basketball. He's a good basketball player. He's fun to watch in high school. Doesn't necessarily project in the SEC if he doesn't play football. Terry and Arnold's a legitimate basketball player. He can play for uh, several Division I schools in hoops. You look at him, he's a wide receiver. He's a safety. He's a cornerback. He can play a number of positions. So Alabama's going to battle there for him. Georgia's going to be involved. You know, the one thing that's going to be interesting is – I don't know what percentage yet didn't sign, but those guys' stock are all going through the roof. So if you're a kid sitting around here with just a small offer, Troy in the UAB, he could very well end up in the SEC. I used to watch it happen in basketball every single year. So um, you see all these guys like Terry and Arnold. He's going to be like the prettiest single girl at the dance that night. So he's going to have a lot of college coaches chasing him. He's a tremendous talent. They were already chasing him, but – Alabama's going to be fighting Georgia, Texas A&M, Florida, some of those schools uh, that will be involved. Um, defensive line, it's your guy, JTT. JT Tui Malau. Yes. There we go. I had to get it in there. That's I practiced that, you know, right. three days a week, three day, three times a day I practice that one. Well, you know, he's still on the I even page. do it in the mirror. I do it in the mirror just to make sure the enunciation. Enunciation. You've shaved, you like <laughs> The steam and you practice his name repeatedly. Yes, exactly. He, Absolutely. Uh, he's a heck of a ball player, obviously. Now, I found it interesting. I was told early on that <clears throat> he wanted to leave the West Coast, but when he named his top five, he had Alabama, Ohio State, three schools from the West Coast. That don't necessarily mean anything, but to me, that's something to watch that he could end up staying uh, back at home. Alabama's been talked about. Does it, does it seem like, Tim, with some of these guys that initially – seem more more receptive to getting away from home as the decision gets closer the decision 
itself seems to get closer to home in some instances. Maybe that won't be the case here, but it, it, I think in some instances it works that way. You know, I think in a weird way, not trying to be funny, but I think being at home all the time could work to the effect that some kids feel like they want to get away. You know, they've had to, they've they've got a lot of family time. And uh, as you and I can say with multiple children, all family time's not good, good time. (laughs) Family time is yelling at each other and spilling stuff and, you know, just being, I need space, I need peace. So it could give them a sense of wanting to be away from home. In some cases, I think it worked in reverse where, you know, kids wanted to be around, be at home even more. So with a guy like that, uh, you know, you, you see these high school players always use Minka Fitzpatrick as the example. Some of these kids just have a professional mentality. And I think JTT falls in that category. And, you know, we've seen Pat Sertain. There's a million other examples I could give you of guys who were getting up to go to the gym at 530 with their dad or with the trainer before school their whole life. So they're going to have a different mentality. So those they'll take the process more as a business decision. Like where, what's my quickest road? What can I do? Who can develop me and all that stuff. So I think JTT could fall into that category, but that's definitely two targets in the late period. And the thing about it is there will be more emergent. There will be more targets that emerge. Um, Cause Alabama will keep evaluating these guys, you know, Alabama will keep what checking. A- in. Go ahead. What about the, the transfer uh, situation too, because we've heard from the NCAA here in the last couple of days, uh, you're looking at immediate eligibility for folks uh, that transfer. Um, I, was, do you, I don't know if this do you, is discussed, but I was told that in the SEC they weren't going to allow inner. Uh, you can't go from within the league. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Is that is that been a rule yet? Or well, they they've talked about that in the past, and then they've allowed it to happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you go back to most. You go back to Mo Smith, right, from Alabama to Georgia a few years yeah, ago. They were the, the league sort of the league sort of opened that Pandora box already. Yeah, they were and, transfers. What about straight up transfers? Yeah, yeah, that's you know, true. Bringing up like Eric Gilbert, he's obviously well, the one sort of losing. Joey to. Joey Gatewood wasn't a grad transfer. He went from Auburn to Kentucky. Did he know, sit so. here? I don't know that. Yeah, answer. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, but I think it was at one point you were looking at maybe even two years potentially yeah. that you were looking to sit out. Um, but yeah, as far as immediate eligibility, I, I guess that that could certainly factor into it. But uh, on a national scope, uh, the ability to to move around, uh, I don't think that's as much of an, a, a, a potential scenario for Alabama, I would think, though, compared to a lot of places. Now, I think the one you you know everybody's worried or not worried the one they're wondering about the most is Eric Gilbert, the five star tight end who went to LSU. He's I don't think he's in the portal yet, but he's rumored to be leaving the portal. He opted out the rest of this year, so that's a guy who wants to be closer to home. You look at you know Alabama probably finished second there for Eric. A lot of people, including me, thought he was going to Alabama. <laughs> so if Eric does transfer, you know you start looking at Georgia hour and a half away. Alabama's two and a half or three hours away. Knoxville's like three hours away. Florida State, you start looking at schools he could possibly go to, a lot of SEC schools. So I think that part of the ruling is going to be a huge deal. When we look ahead to even, let's say, 2022, because of the situation that we've been in since mid-March and the virtual nature of the recruiting process since that point, uh, how much work has Alabama been able to get done on that front? Because we know, uh, typically by this point of a, of a class, that next class is already 
very much in play and, and being worked through. Yeah, I think Alabama was sort of the last couple of years. I think they, they always they always recruit ahead. I think they had some 2023 offers go out yesterday, in fact, and uh, sort of lost in all the hubbub. I think they spent the day doing that. But I think the priority here was, one, to finish this season, and two, to finish this class. And they did a lot of the legwork to finish the class in the summer. And then so, we, you know, obviously the season's going pretty well for them as well. So I think they're definitely on 2022. But, again, now you're talking – you just evaluated a whole class where you really couldn't see them on campus – you couldn't see them test. You're going strictly off film, word of mouth. I've had – I can't even imagine how – I don't know how many coaches have called and asked me trying to find a size on the guy uh, this year because they just couldn't see him. You know, you just you, – so when you talk about 2022, now you're going to be basically – until you get him in camp, you're going to be two years in the blind. So now you're basing off film, you know, seeing him as a sophomore going into junior. This would have been their junior year. Then next will be their senior year. A lot of changes happen between 16 and 18. So I think with 2022, you can be a little slower. You can be a little bit deliberate. Right now, Alabama just has one commitment, Robert Woodyard from uh, Mobile. Big-time kid, big-time athlete. Another, in, in, you know, I think Alabama's really convinced they want to make sure they never lack for linebackers again with the last two classes, their 2022 first commitments of linebacker. So, um you know, you're going to, in my opinion, and this could change, Nick Saban could commit eight guys before you post this podcast, but 2022, I think you go as slow as you can because you really want to see these guys if at all possible. And hopefully with the vaccine out, maybe camps will be open by June and July, um, unlike last year. In the midst of all this, uh, we have a football game Saturday night over in Atlanta, Georgia. The Alabama Crimson Tide and the Florida Gators set to square off for the SEC championship. Tim, you got any particular feel or thoughts on this game? Are you like everybody else? You're maybe expecting a good bit of points. Do you see it maybe flying in the face of that? Maybe not as much scoring. What are you anticipating the most about this matchup Saturday night? You know, I think a lot of the people – I mean, for a lot of the you know nationwide, I think Florida losing to LSU sort of took the the wind, you know, sort of took a lot of the hype out of this game. I don't think Alabama will feel that way. I don't think Florida will will feel that way. Florida obviously will come out motivated. It's their only shot to get in the playoffs, which I still think is a long shot, even if they beat Alabama. But um, I think you'll see two motivated teams. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It reminds me of some of the best SEC SEC games I've seen championship games, two big time offenses. Uh, Pete Golding's defense has done really well. I know some begrudgingly won't give him credit, but that defense has done a good job. Nick Saban was singing his praises last week. Florida has some defensive problems. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I saw as a kid the the U.S. Olympic team in 80, the hockey team. I was watching it like everybody else and uh, following it when they won the gold. And I saw Villanova beat Georgetown. I've seen some upsets. But I got to be honest, I think the LSU beating Florida, considering the circumstances, might be the biggest upset I've seen outside of Buster Douglas knocking out Tyson. I mean, LSU walks in there. Their middle linebacker opts out before he gets on the plane. They turn around and lose one of their starting defensive backs to targeting, another with injury, and then Stingley doesn't even play. It's amazing. It's how they even competed with a true freshman – 
And it wasn't even the JV team. It was the ninth grade team asked, that LSU took. It, yeah, that's exactly. It's amazing. It's like the ninth grade team at Thompson, as good as it would be, the ninth grade team at Thompson beating the varsity team at Hoover. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it is. That's Wasn't great, it? That, no, no, no. That's a great analogy. I mean, that, that you're right. And Thompson, Thompson has some hellacious ninth graders. I have no doubt. No, they, but we're they, talking they, about beating the varsity at Hoover. Listen, you know, look, you had a true freshman in there. And don't forget Eric Gilbert's not playing. So every single thing. I, I love me some Max Johnson though. Max Johnson it, can ball. Max, uh, Max made some plays. I mean, LSU didn't pressure him. I mean, I don't. I mean, Florida didn't pressure him. I think him. his legs, his legs surprised know, Florida I early. I don't know if they were prepared for him to be honest. No, I think they <laughs> thought they were getting TJ Finley, who's not much of an athlete, and now Max Johnson comes out, hits him with a couple of runs, and screws him up a little bit. You know, Max is a you know Max is a you know completely different animal than TJ. TJ's that big old Jamarcus Russell, big arm. Uh, mm-hmm. duck in the pocket, but Max isn't like you said. Is an athlete, guy can run, can throw the ball. But again, we're talking about a true freshman. Even with the limitations on the crowd to go into the swamp um, and win that game, and then the absurdity of the shoe, the <laughs> absurdity of the shoe. And I mean, everybody's blaming the kid. They still had to drive down and get you know fifteen more yards. Whatever. Had to hit, had to hit a fifty-seven yard field goal, and it, it never, never should have come down to that. I mean, that you kid, know? I don't know the kid. I don't know the kid at all. I don't know him, didn't cover him, don't know him during the recruiting process, don't know him at all. But obviously made a bonehead mistake, at, you know, in the, uh, you know, with the, you know, in the heat of the moment and all that stuff. And Dan Mullen's friggin' explanation of that. I mean, he must think we're all blind and can't see that game. <laughs> I mean, that kid threw it. Hell, I wish, you know, we, there's been times I wish an Alabama quarterback could throw that far. Man, <laughs> so, Nike just keeps winning, though. You know, Nike had a Nike had a Jordan brand team on one sideline, had a Nike team on the other sideline, and it's the Nike shoe that gets thrown that we're all talking about, man. Yeah, you just can't beat Nike, you know. Yeah. So you got that that kid misses. I mean, that kid hits a huge field goal in the fog, and then they're forgetting Florida actually came back and had a pretty good kicker with a chance to kick the field. Evan goal. McPherson from Fort Payne. Absolutely, yeah. a kicker. Kids got a big leg, so they, you know, his little brother's really good too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, uh, yeah. They run in. They often they'll run in pairs. Those. I kids. don't know what they're doing in Fort Payne with kickers, but they're they're on a run with the McPhersons right now. Good. It's almost like uh, who is? Remember Tennessee had a Colquitt punt for like sixteen straight years. Oh yeah. But you know, yeah, I know they had a Col- they had a Colquitt punting going back to the Civil War. I'm pretty I think, sure that, Tennessee. Pretty sure that was the same Colquitt. He dyed his hair. He grew facial hair. I think he just kept his scholarship. Yeah, I think Dustin, Justin, Augustine, all of them. They kicked exactly the same. So, yeah, so you got that. So a lot of things went into that. With Alabama, big offense, I expect them to put up points. Haven't really seen anybody to slow them down. I don't think Florida – I think Florida can score. I think all Alabama fans should be prepared not to freak out at every first down. But I think Florida can score – We'll move the ball. Obviously, they're supposed to get Pitts back. Um, to me, Pitts is the second most impactful non-quarterback player in the country behind Devonta. And um, I really think there should have been more discussion about uh, the Heisman. You know how I feel in Devonta, but also Pitts. I mean, that's that, that's a big-time yeah. player difference maker. So he'll be back. So you just got to hope Alabama can contain, bend and not break, and then outscore him. I do think Florida's going to have trouble with Alabama's offense. 
And uh, I do think it hurts Florida being kind of one dimensional more, you know, obviously the passing's really good, so that's not a problem, but they don't really have that running attack right now. Yeah, we've seen the Alabama pass rush really pick it up. Christian Barmore, Will Anderson, they seem to be seem to be emerging and becoming at least borderline dominant in some passing situations, which was kind of the expectation all along. But uh man, it seems like just yesterday we were talking about Will Anderson and the impact that, that he would make at Alabama and down the stretch. He's, he's absolutely done that. He's done it all year. It's just that he's finishing more on the quarterback here at the end of the season, which is exactly when you want him doing it. You know, we were kidding. He had like led the nation in almost sacks for sure. Um, <laughs> had a ton of almost sacks and now he's actually got sacks. He's got like, was he got five? You know, that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty good season, you know, considering the height that he came in. I remember the, I remember the preseason when people were telling us and we were reporting that that is that guy's the worker. That's the one, the first one on the field, the first one in the weight room, becoming a leader. And everybody's like, I don't know if he's, he can be the best player. And, you know, obviously Pat Sertain's good and there's other good defensive players out there. But Will's in the discussion for the best player on the field. I can tell you that much. Um, Barmore's been huge. Uh Going to have it, you know. Going to have a chance to play himself into some money. Barmore's everything we thought he could be. I remember seeing him was from like Philadelphia, and I saw his film. I was talking to Brian Dawn, our our uh, my Jersey guy, you know, twenty four seven guy up in that area, and I told him, I said, he reminds me of Marcel Darius. Like the best of Barmore reminded me of Darius, and you see some of that now. Uh, the comparison, you know, once you know, I think he arrived pretty much, showed up for the season, and there's a few guys I think that. You know, defensive linemen sort of have to play their way in shape. You almost can say that about offensive linemen a lot of times. Barmore now isn't the Barmore we saw in game one or two. Barmore's, a, you know, he's an animal. And they're getting it from some of those second-year guys, too, like Byron Young, Justin Aboigby. Uh, another veteran in Fedarian Mathis has been very consistent. And it's to the point where, unfortunately, once again, LeBron Ray, because of injury, hasn't been able to have the impact that certainly Alabama hoped he would. But with all these other guys, Tim Smith, DJ Dale doing some nice things, especially on early downs. Uh, not that you couldn't certainly use a healthy and good to go LeBron Ray, but they seem to have reached a point with Freddie Roach, who we should probably give some accolades to at this point in his first year coaching that defensive line. Uh, it, it, it goes unnoticed almost that, that LeBron's not able to do what you'd like him to be able to do. Yeah, you know, the thing I like the most about what Freddie Roach seems to have done is, you know, in the past we'd have Alabama defensive line, but they don't really, they didn't really seem to leave the field. Like we didn't really know who Quint, I mean, we knew who Quint Williams was, his potential, but he didn't really get a chance to shine till like that third year. The rotation to me has always seemed thin on the defensive line. Um, since Bo Davis left. But if you watch Freddie Roach's defensive line, he's rotating them in and out. You're seeing a lot of numbers, a lot of jerseys, uh, mixing it up. A lot of guys, like you said, you named a lot of people that are having impacts on the defensive line. And that's huge because you go from playing all those snaps in the first quarter to the fourth quarter. Hey, those are 300-pound guys, 260-pound guys up there. So you keep them fresh, you rotate them in. And, and I think they're all, you've seen that too with their defense – um, recruiting. They've signed more defensive linemen. They're still pursuing defensive linemen to rotate those guys in and out, keep them fresh towards the end. You know what else we've got Saturday, too, 
in advance of that SEC championship game, the return of the stands, Tim Watts, to Coleman Coliseum. Rick Stansbury bringing Western Kentucky to town to take on the Alabama men's basketball team was supposed to be Kelvin Sampson in Houston in here on Saturday. Due to some COVID issues, it will instead be Western Kentucky. How about some memories of stands uh, at Mississippi State taking on some Mark Godfrey teams at Alabama? Tim, I, I'm sure, and given your background on the hoops recruiting trail, I'm sure you probably have some stories in relation to that aspect of the uh, rivalry back in the day, too. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget. I was cutting my teeth back then. <laughs> Gerald Wallace and Mario Austin. You remember they were two parade All-Americans? Mario uh-huh. was a guy, they're running that high post offense. Mario was that perfect big man, compliment. Everybody expected to go to Alabama. Mississippi State got in there and ended up landing him. Then later on, I remember Walter Sharp at Parker High School ended up committing. I don't even think he visited. Um, I would say Mark Godfrey and Rick Stansberry were definitely adversarial. They, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, now, you know, it's funny. No Christmas cards this time of year? No Christmas you know, cards. You know, the thing that I loved about covering – AAU basketball is I would see two guys that hated each other, supposedly, or probably did hate each other. I would see, you know, Brady at LSU, Godfrey. I see all these coaches. They're mad. They're talking crap. They're everything. When I go to AAU tournament, I'd sit in the stands. The next thing you know, I'd be surrounded by them. And they were like talking trash to them. Like Brady, <laughs> Scott Brady was one of the king of talking trash at LSU about himself, his own team. So, just a loud, abrasive guy, really funny. You have Godfrey, super polished. You know, Stansberry was kind of, you know, kind of quiet. Billy Donovan was really a guy that would get out there and go. The first time I met Anthony Grant, I was talking to Billy Donovan about basketball recruits, and he was asking me, he's, he, he figured out what I did. He said, hey, he reached in his pocket. He said, I don't have a card. Go tell that coach over there. I said, give me a card. <laughs> I walked across the court to his assistant, Anthony Grant. I said, hey, Coach Donovan asked me to give a – uh, for you to give me a business card and write his number on the back. And Anthony Grant turned into James Bond. You know, he had that look almost like, you know, he had that look like he didn't believe me. And I was like, dude, I'm not stealing Billy Donovan's number. We're literally having this discussion now. And Billy Donovan's across the floor and he's rotating his hands like, give him the number. So good time. <laughs> you know, coaches sitting there, talk trash, recruiting. And um, yeah, AAU basketball, those coaches are something else. But Godfrey, and uh, Rick, I would say that was a you know a, a frenemy type situation at best. So excited, yeah. man! That game Alabama had this week against Furman is uh-huh. you know I've never I, I think this is normal for everybody. But when Alabama got ten and Furman came out hot, that was a nice little team and that was a nice little win at the end of the day for me. But when Furman you know Furman got up big, I've never Alabama fans just furious. And to see him walk him down, play a good, you know, a good second half, walk him down and beat a pretty good team. Rojas obviously stepped up big. Herb was really big. And, you know, you win a game where you got uh, Petty was like 0 for 5, 0 for 6 from three point, right? Didn't make a shot. Yeah, 0 for 6. I mean, he made a couple, uh, you know, inside the art, but he was like 0 for 6 from out there, had six points. So when you win a game against that kind of team, um, you know, I think that's a big win. I mean, that's sort of the stuff you got to see. You can't always be a front runner. You can't always jump out by 10 and then it's 20 and then it's 30, it's 40. So I thought it was a good win, but I'm excited to see this team. I mean, they're <laughs> they're a little stressful, you know, because they got so much talent and they'll go on spurts where you're really frustrated. But they go on spurts where they play some of the best basketball 
uh, I've seen in Alabama recently. Yeah, and in, for all the talent that you see in this team, it was grit in the second half that got them back over the hump, I thought. And Rojas certainly helped with that. Jawan Gary coming off the bench certainly helped with that. And so nice to just have that guy you can count on night in and night out in Herb Jones, right? I mean, he gives you a double-double, does extensive damage on the uh, offensive boards, and just Mr. Reliable, Herb Jones. Uh, it seems like each and every each and every time out, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get from the senior. Hey, uh, Tim, go ahead. No, that was a, I was going to say that Alabama did do a good job of limiting their turnovers, too, on top of yes. uh, everything else. I thought they got a lot of possessions, shot the ball, started really bad, finished with a pretty strong shooting performance, and at yeah. least the second half. Second half was better and defensively better in the second half. Again, kind of goes back to the grit. Uh, ball was really getting to the rim with ease and give Furman credit. You're right. That's a solid team, a veteran team, a team that understands the value of the extra pass and the half court was able to get some open looks that way. And look, lost one of its best players there with about seven or eight minutes to go to fouls. That didn't hurt Alabama either, but you got to give Alabama some credit for that uh, as well. Hey, Tim, uh, we're getting close here. I know it's crazy. Christmas right around the corner. We're big fans. Uh, but Christmas music I wanted to ask you about as we get out of here uh, on a Thursday. Let's uh, let's hear it. Tim Watts, if you have to pick one era, one era of Christmas music, I'm going with the 80s. I'm going with uh, – I don't know what it was about the 80s, but the, the, the pop scene, the, you know, the, uh, the, they really did it up. They did it up big with the uh, Christmas music in the 80s. I mean we had our, we had our guys with Wham!, you know, George Michael, Andrew Ridgely giving you last Christmas. That's become a classic. Do they know it's Christmas? Band-Aid, the charitable effort. And then my personal favorite, Christmas in Hollis by yeah, Run DMC. That? Yeah. Was that in yeah. the 80s? That's 1987. Yeah. Run DMC. Wham no. in 85. I think what really kicked it off was that that uh, Do They Know It's Christmas song. The uh, yeah, band-aid. I think that really kicked off the Christmas run, and um, I would agree with you. I mean, a couple I've always liked. I like the uh, rocking around. I don't know who sings. It's in the sixties, probably rocking around the Christmas tree. It's a lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fifties and sixties were strong for sure. Uh, it's Brenda Lee. I like her song a lot. And I, I still like a Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas." So I think for me, I don't really know. Hey, you know what? Very good. It's before the 80s, but one of the best Christmas songs, the most interesting. And really, you need to see the video. But you remember uh, uh, David Bowie and uh, Bing Crosby? A yeah, they did. a. Uh, did they do the little drummer boy? Or, uh, and by there, the video is outstanding. So the two of them singing. Very good. Is, You're I mean, right. They sound so good together. It's a really simple song. I mean, everybody knows the song, but those two singing together that's a really that's a really good song i mean we love christmas music i love christmas you know i'm a movie guy uh i hear christmas music year round you know we me and my oldest son we run through birthdays right around christmas i get the old oh i forgot your birthday but here's your early christmas present gift i get from so many people um who who uh i made a list of but they um uh you know what we really miss this time of year too is the christmas 
Thanksgiving to Christmas release of movies at the theaters, man. Oh, absolutely. How big that used to be. I mean, Thursday night of Thanksgiving, you would go see something that was dropping. Maybe multiple movies would be dropping on that Thursday or Friday. And then certainly Chris, right up into Christmas, Christmas Eve, we would always go to the theater on Christmas Eve. That was like a tradition that is going by the boards now. Yeah, well, you know, here they have like those old Christmas movies. They come, I think it's on Wednesdays and Sunday. And all, you know, I guess, uh, what is the big movie theater, Amstar? So I think they had that. You know, the Alabama Theater always has like a Christmas run. I don't know. Have you been to the Alabama Theater before? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I've been to concerts there. Yes, that's it's fantastic. Last person I saw there was Dave Chappelle, but they always do Christmas stuff that looks fun. I mean, we've managed, my, you know, when you got young kids, they're going to, they, they sort of, my kids aren't very demanding and uh, they don't ask for a whole lot. They're not very greedy, which tells me I give them too much because they don't ask for much. But they uh, they've been pretty persistent about these movies. Even yesterday, we snuck in um, Christmas with the Cranks between uh, Jojo Earl and uh, Kyrie Jackson. <laughs> I had to, like, my daughter's like that's efficiency there. So I like daughter, that. Yeah. The computer and I checked the phone. It's made it a lot easier. But she's like. We're doing a Christmas movie, right? And I was like, uh, yeah. She said, when's the window? I was like, as soon as this kid Jojo Earl goes, we got Kyrie. I think we're down to Kyrie, so we could sneak one in. But, but um, yeah. Well, music- look, and when, when your daughter asks you that question, you make a window. You know, yeah. You, 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 you do what you got to do. Well, I'm, I'm really lying because it, t- it sounds like a question, but it's not. Right. And it's not I'm a question. Dad, it's to pretend it's a question. But really, it's we're watching a Christmas movie. Period. Right. In my head, to make exactly. me feel the alpha here, Daddy, can we watch a Christmas movie? So that way I feel a little better. But no. Um, yeah, but Christmas music, you're right, it's good. Listen to it. I know the family, my wife is You know what? There's Christmas music around the house, though. But then there's like, when you go to a city like New York or you know a metropolitan area uh, around the holidays, I like the classical stuff more. No, what about the, the 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 what is it the Siberian Orchestra that 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 does the Christmas music? Have you ever been to one of those shows? No. I'm yeah, that, that you need if if you if you dig Christmas music, you do need to uh, to do the Trans Siberian Orchestra. Man, okay. I mean they they come through Birmingham too, and so uh, the well, hope hopefully if we get back to having concerts like that. I'm telling you, Tim, knowing you, you would just – it's kind of a rock Christmas show okay. with lights and everything. You would absolutely dig it. You need to You need to do that. Trans-Siberian right. Orchestra. See, yeah. People that have known me from, you know, 20 years, they, they, they pretty much do know me. So when they say knowing you, you'll like it, I do it. I got people that know me 18 months like, dude, you're going to love it. I was like, you do not know me. I don't move. Yeah. I don't go, go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and check it out. You can see them right. on YouTube. You'll yeah. you'll dig it. I'm telling yeah. you, it's Trans Siberian Orchestra. You'll dig it. Well, Travis, what's your expectations for this Florida game before we get off of here? I'm kind of like you. I think uh, I'm expecting to be entertained because when I look at the offensive side of the ball for both of these teams, I got playmakers galore. Right, even with Jalen Waddle out, you know Devontae and what he's able to do. The potential for Najee Harris to do some big things against this Florida defense. John Mechie, um, you know, it can, continues to contribute as needed. The tight ends, Jalil Billingsley emerging. 
as much as we're going to talk about Cal Pitts for Florida, it might end up being that Jalil Billingsley uh, uh, contributes some explosive plays of his own from the tight end position. And then Kadarius Tony is an all purpose type threat returning punts. Um, you know, that's sort of what I'm, I'm anticipating most. And then I'll do that. And then we'll get into the game, Tim. And as it typically happens, the lines of scrimmage will end up determining everything. We'll go into it, ready to see these skill guys and these quarterbacks and these Heisman candidates. And then ultimately, it'll be the big dudes seven that to decided. Six, seven to six final. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, nine, that's, six. Yeah. yeah overtime again. And I was, I was literally this week saying how boring the Ravens and Browns were going to be. I said, it's cold. Both of those guys have the longest possession time. It's going to, and then they know, light it up. And they, they light it up. It looked that like was fun. It looked like San Diego State and BYU back in the day when I <laughs> And I feel bad. I feel sad for people that when I say that, they don't get that reference. But there was something special about catching that game on some odd time, on some odd night. Marshall Falk and Ty Detmer were battling in one of, you know, some of the most epic battles you oh, ever Oh, man. The, the holiday bowls used to be great. You know, when you get yes. BYU in there and you'd get, you know, some of those teams, SMU would end up out there, maybe San Diego State. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was always good stuff. For people that gamble, you'd have overs of like 70. <laughs> and you'd still you know, and that that's that's the over under for Florida, Alabama Saturday night, 74 and a half. That's the total, Tim, from wow. Vegas right now. That's 70. a lot of points, man. A lot of points. That's a lot. That's a 41-34 kind of game. I think Alabama, you know, the thing that would have been interesting if Nick Saban was just a ruthless guy, you know, with this offense, if you had a guy that's trying to score points on every possession, which they're obviously doing, but, I mean, you saw them take the air out of that. They can say what they want. They took the air out of that game against LSU. At some point, your point's made. You just want to get out. You just want to get out healthy. Arkansas was very bland. Um was a very bland offensive, you know, play call, and they didn't have to show a lot. But you see them just sort of running out the clock late. You know, you get Bryce Young in there. Yeah. You know, we had discussions um, on the roundtable about they want Bryce to come in passing. I think people forget, like you know, I think they forget that like Tua used to hand the ball off a lot. You know, he, he still used to, pass. yeah. He get to, and you know, I mean, Mac Jones. We didn't know he could pass for years. He didn't get major playing time until. Uh, as far as passing until that Arkansas game when he got thrown in there. I think that's just the way the the, the paying your dues, the bringing along slowly, controlling the ball, that kind of stuff, you know, with Bryce. So Yeah, when you're up when you're up fifty two to three and uh you got an SEC championship game next week, you're trying to get out of there. You know what I mean? You, yeah, whatever it. whatever way can end the game the fastest and keep you the healthiest and also, you had some guys on this Alabama team last Saturday that were trying to get to graduation at six back in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. So I think when you, you had a couple back, of things in play. I think when you look back at this season, I think you have to appreciate how methodical Alabama was in the second half. And you look at games, there wasn't a lot of excitement. Sort of leaned on you. They sort of crushed you. I mean, outside, you know, for yeah. some reason, I think it's just human nature. All 10 games, defensively, I feel like Alabama's been solid. They've bent. They've not broke. At the end of the game, at 60 minutes, they've looked okay, with the exception of Ole Miss. Now, some people can entirely focus 
on the Ole Miss game. I'm not one of those. I sort of like you. I want to see the collection. I got. I, I I do have a little Ole Miss PTSD though. I I still do. I've got some residual effects of it, Tim. Yeah. I'll admit it. Now it's been helped a great deal here in the last three or four weeks, but um, and it's not even so much about this week because it's more that I I respect and appreciate the the weapons that Florida has. It's not an Ole Miss thing this week. It's not what happened against Ole Miss uh, that concerns me for Alabama. It's that Florida just has those kind of guys, regardless, that can hurt a lot of defenses, not just Alabama's. You know, yeah. you know, you, we say that, but the thing about like LSU is 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 as bad of a season as they're having. They showed against Florida. They got playmakers. They showed it against Alabama. Yeah. Alabama saw Max Johnson. Alabama saw John Emery. They saw Boot, saw Boutte. They have those athletes just as well as Florida does at the skill position. They actually saw Gilbert, too, yeah. Yes, ab- absolutely. So they absolutely, when you look at skill player-wise, I mean, if you look at how many SEC teams have better skill players than Kayshawn Boutte, you know, and Eric Gilbert and John Emery, that's a five-star kid, and they've got the uh, other that, back number three. Yeah. They're skill it's, players. The com- it's, it's the complimentary guys for Florida that impressed me. Um, Trayvon Grimes and Jacob Copeland, some of these guys, you know, look, if Pitts goes for 150 Saturday night and you do a good job against Kadarius Tony and those other guys, Kyle Pitts can go for 150 all he wants, which can't have happened Saturday night is Kyle Pitts go for 150, Kadarius go for 150, Trayvon Grimes go for 80 and Jacob Copeland go for like 80, you know, and then you got to deal with backs in the passing game too. So I, I just think it, it's in addition to talent, um, Florida, and it should be because of the continuity it's been able to maintain in comparison to LSU. I mean, hell, everybody from Jamar Chase before the season to, as you noted, most recently, Eric Gilbert have checked out. Um, the continuity of this Florida offense is, is far much more together um, to go along with the talent. But, uh, you know, like I said, you still got to block people and, and you still got to tackle people ultimately at the end of the day and i don't know about you but i, I think alabama is still a, a pretty good bit advanced over florida in those areas yeah i agree i mean dan mullen's a heck of a coach you know that's uh it reminds me of those old school coaches when i was cutting my teeth breaking into this business i'd hear coaches like at high school or recruit, even college they'd say i don't care who they are just give me 11 guys they were that kind yeah. of coach i think dan mullen's that way when you look at him he is that guy for sure he's yeah he's going to recruit well they're always going to have guys because the state of Florida is loaded. You can always find a guy to to play a good defensive guy, especially good offensive guys. You're going to have that. So, uh, but I think Dan Mullins, that guy that coaching is what it's about. He's all about you want to finger wrestle, arm wrestle, and all that stuff, and um, doesn't take losing very well. We've heard two of the lamest excuses after both his losses this year. Um, <laughs> but but he's competitive. You know, he's a competitive and he'll fight yeah. good game plan. But I'll ask you this. Do you think Alabama peaked ahead a little bit, having Arkansas and then Florida? I got feeling they could have some things in to get ready, at least defensively. You don't have to really change a lot offensively, but defensively, no. I feel like they had a chance to slide ahead a little bit. Even with LSU, there was a lot of confidence there. Not saying they didn't prepare for those games; they obviously did. But I think you also could work in some stuff in those plans that'll scheme better against Florida. Yeah, you know, and didn't really have to was able to stay ultra vanilla defensively against Arkansas and still, 
dominate that game offensively too, for that matter. So uh, should have plenty in the bag, as they like to say, for the Florida Gators on uh, Saturday night. And what I like about this for this Alabama offense too is that it's kind of like a it's kind of like a mixtape of the Saban era. You know, if you want explosive plays like we've seen, especially over the last two or three years, it can do that. If it gets to a situation where it wants to take the air out of the football, like 2009 or some of those earlier Saban teams with the offensive line and the run game, it can do that as well. And I think that's probably as much as anything what we'll see come to the forefront on uh, against Florida in this game. Is You said it earlier, Florida tends to be one-dimensional in how it goes about its stuff on offense. Uh, you know, Alabama has that balance and versatility uh, within its approach that that should uh, should be plenty good enough this week. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a good game. I'm excited. I'm excited they're getting here. This is a full season. Um, I, I'm, again, I'm not sure we thought this was actually going to happen. But no, just to get to this has been a hell of a win. Yeah. Yeah, just to get to this point. Well, we'll have it covered for you at BamaOnline.com. Tim Watts, myself, Charlie Potter, Hank South, Kirk McNair, the whole crew of us there at BOL will be with you, uh, as we always are, on game day. And also, you'll have Alabama basketball again leading you up to Alabama, Florida on Saturday night. We'll also continue to cover this 2021 recruiting cycle the aftermath of the early signing date. You'll see more and more coverage of that on the website as well. And of course, Tim will be right there on the Bama online roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. So for Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama online podcast. Absolutely. Hope to see you as well there at BOL on the roundtable, that message board with us. Do it. Today, BamaOnline.com for Tim Watts, Travis Ryer. Have a great rest of your week, everybody. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. 